Welcome to the Leadership Lounge, a restorative space for women who embrace leading and learning. Each episode is brought to you by the TurkNet Leadership Group and hosted by me, Anne Quiello. I'm an executive coach and leadership development consultant. You're going to want to stay tuned for inspiring and informative interviews with experts in leadership, and especially if you're seeking to be the very best version of who you want to be as a leader. We won't shy away from the messy side of leadership, the moments when character was tested, or the invaluable lessons from failure. So grab a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage, find a cozy spot, and join us as we embark on this journey together. Well, today's topic is how to stay positive in an increasingly negative world. And I've asked Christine Roberts to join me in this discussion because, uh, frankly, she is one of the most positive people I know, and also because she's a success coach. She's also the founder and CEO of her business, Create Your Best Life. She's an author, author of the book, Inspirational Mind, Food, Positive Thoughts, Actionable Ideas. And she's a sought-after speaker, so you can understand why I wanted to have her here with us today. And we connected very well because uh, she focuses much of her work and passion toward professional women and women leaders. Her professional history includes work as a leadership expert and consultant with the Disney Institute, as well as with the Maxwell Leadership Organization under very well-known leadership guru, John Maxwell. Christine also has extensive background as a business leader, so she's been able to combine all of this vast experience into developing other leaders, and especially women, which is often why we get together here. Well, welcome to our show, Christine. Thank you. Thank you. It's so great to be here. (laughs) Yay, yay. We're typically very positive, but there are some days these days with a lot of news and a lot of negativity. So I want to get into that. But first of all, I'd love for our listeners to get to know you just a little to understand where you're coming from. So please share how you became the first student accepted into Georgia State University's Executive MBA program. And get this, without a college degree. How did that happen? (laughs) A lot of perseverance and persuasion. Yeah. So I had gotten into the corporate world and when I was 16, my parents divorced. And unfortunately, you know, it was a time of a lot of turmoil in our family and I didn't end up going. I got accepted to some schools and then uh, just with all the things happening in our family, I didn't end up going. And got into the business world and became a student of business and did really well from Rochester, New York originally, and then ended up here in Atlanta, Georgia, got into sales and, you know, sales is everything's about people, right? So Mm -hmm. I just really have been a student of myself and human behavior and psychology and just have been into that for years. I'd done really well in my career. I'd gotten promoted to California, oversaw the largest account for the company, traveled all over the U.S., And I would be at all these different president's clubs and things like that. And people would be talking about where they went to college. And it just, it gave me a pit in my stomach. I don't know if any of you out there have ever had something that you just felt really insecure about. And, you know, other people probably wouldn't think anything about it. But for you, it's like that feeling of feeling inferior. And that's how I felt. And I was like, I'm going to get a degree. And I started looking into how I could get a degree. I ended up back in Atlanta and... I didn't want to go to college, you know, for 20 years at night. I'd already been, you know, done really well in my career. And so I researched to figure out how could I apply my business experience towards a degree. 
and I discovered executive MBA programs. So I started going to the different programs here in Atlanta. There's Emory, Mercer, Georgia State University. And I went to all of them and I got to know all of the people. And I viewed it just like I would view a sales position, right? Everything, you know, I tell people, everything comes back to people. There's humans that make decisions on what gets done and what doesn't get done. And so I just got to know all the different people in the administration department. And I put together a really you know, impactful application with a lot of my credentials that I've done in business. I started studying, learning how to learn. I started because I was like, I need to learn how to learn. And I got a program called Accelerated Learning to learn how to learn efficiently and started taking GMAT prep classes, which is graduate management admission test. So I started taking those classes. And so to make a long story short, I just only focused on how it could happen, went through all the processes, went, took the GMAT, got to know everybody, submitted my application. And I would literally, in the mornings, I have a routine of my prayer time and my journaling and it's setting the intentions for my day. And I would journal and just imagine myself walking across the stage, getting my degree. And something just to mention is that I didn't share this with very many people because I think sometimes when we have big dreams, people can unintentionally squelch our dreams when it's something big, you know, to go to grad school without having gone to college. And so one day they call me and they said, Christine, we don't see your transcripts here. And I said, yeah, I, I didn't go to college. You know, my parents divorced and I didn't end up going. And I remember the lady in the admissions just because I knew them all very well at this point. I'd gone to a bunch of different orientations. And she was like, did you go to at least uh, like night school? Did you take one class, like something? And I said, I didn't, you know? And so then she mentioned accreditation and like concerns and all that. You know, I was like, it is what it is. So again, I kept just only focusing on how it would happen and that I would be in there. I didn't even consider anything else. And so one day I get a letter in the mail and it says, unfortunately, due to accreditation, we can't allow you into the program. And I thought, oh no, like, I guess I got to get a plan B. And one other thing to throw in there, it was, it cost a lot of money and I had the cash. So I made sure they knew I had the money. <laughs> so that's a factor. It's still a business. And so I, I literally, I just felt like, well, maybe it's not meant to be. And then that afternoon, the director of uh, admissions called me and said, Christine, we are going to let you into this program. We've had a meeting about you and, and, you know, we, we feel like you've put out so much effort. In fact, they nicknamed me Rudy. I don't know if anybody's ever seen that movie, Rudy, but um, I ended up being the first person that they allowed into the program that didn't go to college. And um, I, I ended up being one of the class reps. I emceed part of the graduation dinner. And so it really was incredible. And now they let people into the program that didn't go to grad, undergrad. So kind of a long so you story. Open the, you open the door for the rest. You know, I love that story because for two reasons. One is, uh, I think also growing up in sales in terms of the of the business experience that you have had to have really honed your influencing skills, which was required in this, I would think, in this process. But the other thing is how you set positive intentions, which is, of course, what we're going to get to here in a minute. But that is a great story. And then the other story that I would love for you to tell is and give us the background is that you and your family actually sold your home, all your cars and all your stuff, bought an RV and traveled across America for a year. <laughs> yes. How, how in the world did you decide to do that? 
And most of all, what's the one big thing that you took away from that experience? Yes, yes. I mean, that then again, that was another thing that we didn't tell too many people because there's a fine line between courageous and crazy. So, you know, at the time, honestly, my husband and I, our children were 10 and 12 at the time. And kind of just to go backwards of several years, when our children were maybe six and eight, I had gone to a speaker conference in California with Brian Tracy, who in that world is a pretty famous guy. And I met some folks that had done this. And they traveled America in RV. They rented their house. And the reason they did it, though, was because the wife, the mom, was sick and they thought she might die. Fortunately, she got better and she's doing great, you know, so thankful for that. But what I thought to myself is so many times we don't do bold things until we get the diagnosis. And I felt like I don't want to wait for a diagnosis to do something that bold. And so planted the seed to do that. And in my mind, I intentionally planned to do it when our kids were 10 and 12 because I felt like. They're old enough to, you know, know and remember, but still young enough to want to hang out with their parents still. <laughs> so flash forward a few years and, you know, was had this seed, had these ideas planted. And at that point, I was working as a consultant and I was traveling all the time. Our children were in all these different sports. I just was working too much. I remember telling my husband on paper, we had everything. We had the big fancy house, the fancy cars, all the material things. But life wasn't fun. Like we were caught up in this rat race of life. And I just felt like I want to get out of here. And what precipitated that as well, two other things happened. My husband and I had gone to a conference, a, a marriage conference, and it was called Cultural Current. And when you went there, there was a scene, like they show a video that kind of sets up the program. And the video was of a couple on a boat in the ocean, and they were going scuba diving. They're sitting on the side of the boat, and they drop anchor, and then they both go over the side of the boat, and they're under the water, and it shows them continuously looking at the anchor. Because when you're scuba diving, for any of you out there that scuba dive, as you know, there's a current under the water that can, that can gradually take you away, but you don't notice it. So you got to keep your eye on the anchor. And so in this video, it shows this couple... And now they get distracted. They start doing other things. And then they look and they don't see the anchor. And there's panic on their faces. And then they go up to the top of the water and they look and their boat was so far away. And the whole metaphor is how the cultural mm. current can take us away from what's really important without us even realizing it. Mm. And so that was another component in what drove us to sell everything and travel in an RV. And there was one more thing that I read. I'd read an article about people in hospice. And these are people on their deathbeds. And they said, if you could live your life over again, what would you do different? And I want you to think about what do you think people would say? It was about regret. Regret mm -hmm. that they didn't travel America with their family. Regret that they didn't say they were sorry. Regret that they didn't start that company. Regret that they didn't go and hike the Appalachian Trail or whatever it was. Like So many times, life goes by so fast. For anyone out there, think about a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, are you where you want to be right now? Or are you in the same place? Many times we can wake up and time goes by and we haven't done the things we want to do. So that was another factor. So it was one of those things where I told my husband, so this was my biggest sales job. My engineer husband, he was not on board with my big ideas. And I had to do like a spreadsheet for him with all of his concerns, solutions, links to solutions. 
And, you know, he, he got on board and we literally, we sold our house in three days from the time that I, I literally, I said to my husband, I can't do this anymore because my neck was killing me. I had cracked over a year's time. I cracked two teeth because I was clenching my teeth when I was sleeping. I was so stressed out. And I said, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> if you want to freak your husband out and say, I can't do this anymore. I mean, he, he got <laughs> with the program <laughs> and then he was awesome. Like he's, I'm the dreamer. He's the implementer. So from the time that I said that to him until we left, it was four months, which is a very short time. Most people plan doing this for like years. We sold our house in three days. We had a five bedroom, three and a half bath house that was like, I don't know, 4,500 square feet. And we moved into an RV, a 38 foot RV, and we bought a Jeep and we simplified and got rid of so much stuff. We had a storage unit that we kept with beds and some couches and stuff, but it was the most liberating thing to get rid of all this stuff and live simply. And it was all about experiences. So we still worked on the road. You know, my husband and I still worked. Our kids did the K-12 Georgia Cyber Academy. And we were actually cast on a TV show called Going RV. So we ended up coming back to Atlanta to film that show. But what I would say is that we don't need very much to be happy, like mm -hmm. really paring down and connecting with our family. It was so mm -hmm. huge and so awesome. And I would have liked to have done it longer, but we did it for a year. And I think it's a different mindset because we had we planned it for a year. So yes, yes. Um, yeah, it was, think, it was I, awesome. That is an amazing story. And it, it's so true. It seems that there's this drive in all of us. I'll be happy when mm -hmm. I'll be happy when I get that next promotion. I'll yeah. be happy yeah. when I get married. I'll be happy when I have children. I'll be happy when, 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 when that's a, an amazing illustration of how we can judge our circumstances versus just actually living them and enjoying the moment. So thank you. Thank you for uh, describing your experience and, and how you got there. My pleasure. Right, so and anyone out there, if you want to know about traveling in an RV, you just let me know. Give me a holler. <laughs> okay, good, good. I'm sure people will just do that. Well, let's switch gears because uh, for me, as I mentioned earlier, it's been very difficult to watch the news recently. Mm -hmm. And I struggle with balancing my very optimistic nature usually with realism because there are so many big issues that are facing humanity today. So how do you coach someone maybe like me who's had a difficult time holding on to a positive mindset in the times we find ourselves? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. And you're so right. I mean, we are bombarded with so much negativity and so much real things happening in our world and our culture. And when working with clients, it's kind of like going back to the whole thing of like, what can I control? One of the things that we start with in with clients that I work with is we have what's called the self-discovery wheel. And it's basically a wheel that has a very pretty granular look at the different categories in our lives. And we start with going through and evaluating for that person, where do you fall in these categories? Because sometimes we can perceive that everything's bad, but when we sit down and when we start looking at ourselves and our own lives, we will see like there's a lot of great things going on. The other thing is really being intentional about what we feed our minds. I went to a seminar one time and they said, you know, everything in life is empty and meaningless. And I thought, oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? However, 
it really is everything that happens, we apply meaning to it. And so I like to talk to people about what their habits are around what they feed their minds and how, you know, even like thinking about your day, how do you structure your day? What are your habits in your day? Because news, for example, it's like there's a a saying in the news world, if it bleeds, it leads. And if we sit and allow ourselves to get consumed by all of that, we can perceive that the world is horrible, but it's really not. A lot of times there's so many great things happening, but it's the filter that we look through. So with clients, I will Mm -hmm. talk to them about just how we perceive things. There's a self-coaching model that says thoughts drive feelings, feelings drive actions, actions drive results. And what are our thoughts? Our thoughts are all of the internal dialogue that's happening right now. We have approximately 70,000 thoughts per day. So that's like 1.2 thoughts per second. And it's this internal dialogue that we're all having. How do we control that? You know, our thoughts and our beliefs, you know, belief drives behavior. Our beliefs and our thoughts come from what we feed our mind. So a lot of it is really intentionality around what we're listening to, what we're watching, who we're hanging out with, um, what we're reading, you know, all the images that we see. And so that's where it's about raising that awareness to what we're feeding our minds. One of the things I tell people is like, if you think about our bodies, right? If we feed our bodies healthy food, we'll have a healthy body. If we go to McDonald's and we eat junk food all the time, our bodies are going to be in bad shape. It's the same thing with our minds and our spirits. When we're feeding our minds and spirits healthy messages, healthy information, then we're going to have healthier minds. And there's a term called GIGO. It's a computer term. And any of you out there that are computer people, GIGO stands for garbage in, garbage out, right? In a computer, if you put bad information in, you're going to get bad information out. It's the same thing with our thought life. Mm -hmm. So those are some high level things that I recommend, you know, how you start your day, limiting technology. Our phones are so awesome, but they can take us down. So really having a plan. In fact, I have an idea for a book. I don't know if anybody out there has heard of that book, Whole30. Have you heard of that book, Anne? No, I haven't. So Whole30 is all about like in your diet, right? Your physical diet, like stripping everything out of your diet. And then you only eat like the basic things. And then you add back stuff and you pay attention to how you feel. I think Hmm. it should be the same with what we feed our mind and our spirit, you know, strip out everything. And one of my clients, there was a time in my previous role with a client that he decided to go on a tech detox. He was married, just he and his wife, they're relatively newly married, only a couple of years. And he decided, we talked about this, taking tech, everything out, all screen time. So for 30 days, he and his wife, they didn't watch TV. They only were using email for work. And that was it. And they started cooking together, playing cards together, going for walks together, exercising together, taking their dog, playing with their dog. And he said his life improved so dramatically by doing that. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that's something that would be so beneficial in our culture today is to almost start like a trend of eliminating everything and getting back to connection. Mm. It seems like all of that is robbing us of being mindful and present and having that connection with other people. So, so powerful. Yeah. Well, so what if you don't have a choice and you're around people that are just constantly negative? 
what do you do? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> well, so one of the things that I like to share, it's called the two minute, two hour, two day model. And I want you to imagine a circle and inside the circle are dots, all these dots and all those dots represent the people in your life. Underneath the circle are three spouts with three little buckets. And the first bucket's a two minute bucket. Next bucket's a two hour bucket. And the third bucket is a two day bucket. And so when you think of all these dots, put those dots in the right buckets, all those people in the right buckets, because you don't want to spend two days with a two minute person. And I think we all know what I mean by that. And, you know, sadly, there's times when we have people in our lives could be related to them, could be relationships that we've just had for a long time, and they could be two-minute people. And and we're spending two days with them. And I have a client who she was telling me about, she shared this idea with her hairdresser. <laughs> and her hairdresser started crying. And she said, why are you crying? And she said, because my brother, who I love, he just brings me down. Like I'm his security blanket and I don't know what to do because he is a two minute person and he's just taking me down with him. And I think we can all relate to that. You love your family, but then there's certain family members that no matter what, they could win a million dollars. They would find something that was bad about that. So it is what it is. And I always tell people, we can't control anyone else but ourselves. That's right. I can only control myself and you can only control yourself. So with those situations, there's a few things, techniques. Number one, it's called limited exposure. If there's people that you know, and this is just how they are, it's not like they're going through a tough time and you, if people are struggling, they're going through a tough time, you want to be there for them. This is different. This is when, like I said, you win a million dollars and they're still not happy. Those folks, it's like figuring out, changing the dynamics in those relationships. It's limited exposure. Doesn't mean you have to do anything radical. You just limit exposure. If you do have to be in those situations, figure out how to direct conversation. So like be prepared to be intentional with conversation. I know I know someone else shared with me that when their family would come, everybody would get on the bandwagon of everything that's bad in the world. And it was just a downer. So that person started having questions like at dinner. So at each person's seat, like in the holidays, every person would have a question and they would have conversation around the table. And it would be things like, who was your favorite teacher and what did you learn from them? Or what are you most grateful for? Or what is something you admire about the person to your left? Or things like that so that you're directing conversation in a positive way. I mean, those are some techniques. And then another one that I've used this is find the humor in situations. So for example, um, I had seen where Tyler Perry, who has all these comedy sh movies, he, I saw him in an interview and he said that all the characters in his movies are based on his family members. And I thought that is brilliant. So when you get around people that that's just the way they are, rather than be offended or be, you know, have your feelings hurt. Try to see it through a lens of humor and imagine you're in a sitcom and it changes the filter and the perspective in those scenarios. <laughs> yeah. I know that we are very infectious, but well, what I'm trying to say is negativity and positivity can be infectious, but negativity especially is mm -hmm. infectious Yes, and, and it's contagious. 
And I remember in research somewhere along the line that especially negative thoughts or negative people or negative expressions, negative emotions are especially contagious. Mm -hmm. So I had learned also to be sure to interpret and recognize that that other person has a a negative bias, perhaps. Mm -hmm. That's just part of their personality. But we have the opportunity to interpret those emotions differently if we choose to. Yes. And your example around humor makes so much sense. So that if we are positive in return, either through humor or in some form or fashion, then that gives the other person an opportunity to catch that positivity from you. Because again, emotions are contagious. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well said. Well said. I think that's so true that we can direct conversation And I was one time in Chicago in the line going through security and there was a gentleman in front of me that was just huffing and puffing and like I could feel his negative energy. And so I couldn't help myself. Part of my program, I have what's called a no complaint contract. And when you, all of us, I thought I was a pretty positive person, but when I started the no complaint contract for 30 days, I realized that I complain more than I realized. So this gentleman in front of me was, he was huffing and puffing. And I said, I introduced myself because there was nothing really bad going on. It was mo- the line was moving at a decent pace. I thought, well, maybe he's late for his plane. Maybe he's running behind. You know, I started thinking about like, wonder what's causing him to be so anxious. And so I introduced myself and then I asked him, I said, what time is your flight? And he told me, and he had plenty of time. And I said, so what's going on? I said, you seem, you seem like you're upset. <laughs> My husband's like, I can't believe you ask people things like that. And I, I don't know how I get away with it. I, I don't know. So he really didn't have any good reason. And I told him, I said, yeah, I'm doing this no complaint contract. And I realized that I complained more. I wasn't telling him he was complaining, but I was saying about myself. It was so fascinating because his energy went 180 and he totally changed his whole demeanor. When we got through security, he bought me a coffee and he went off and he was in a totally different mood. And what I felt like is we can all, all of us, myself included, we can all get into a negative state. And then when someone raises awareness to it, it's like, I think for the, with that gentleman, I raised awareness to him. Like he really didn't have anything to be in a bad mood about. And I mean, he might have other things, but it shifted his energy. And so I think that all of us, like you're saying, it can be contagious, right? I could have started getting on the bandwagon with him complaining mm-hmm. about the line, but it's like, we can all choose how we perceive things and we can shift and add value and positively impact other people's lives too. I mean, his name was Joe. and It was so nice. We had such a nice conversation. So I think you're right. It is contagious. You may have answered my next question already, but all of this reminds me of my father. God rest his soul. He was probably one of the most positive people I've ever known. And uh, having gone through World War II, horrible experiences, and then a lot of other life experiences that were pretty tough. But he remained positive well into his 90s before he wow. passed away. And uh, I remember asking him, I said, you know, Dad, how do you how do you stay so positive? And his response was, well, Anne, you could either get bitter as you get older, or you can get better as you uh-huh. get older bitter or better. I love that. My question is, is is it ever too late for a person to change their mindset? I don't think so. I think that every one of us, every one of us has a choice. I think the key is you have to want to change, right? Like 
a lot of times it's perspective. You can feel like life stinks, but then you get into situations and you see how blessed you are. So it's like counting our blessings and gratitude. I mean, I was looking at the Mayo Clinic studies on positivity and how it positively impacts your health. I mean, literally when we choose those positive thoughts, right? When we choose to perceive something in the better light that serves us, our bodies produce dopamine, our bodies produce positive chemicals that help us to feel better, to be healthier. Our immune systems are increased. And I don't think it's ever too late for sure. Mm -hmm. However, I believe that it has to be a personal decision a person has to decide that they want to be happier and enjoy life and and take action. You know, it's not just going to happen. You have to decide. One of my um, programs is called Lead Yourself to Lead Others. And one of the components of that is called Decide to Thrive because it comes back to personal responsibility. Everything out there is what it is. And whether your life is terrible, mediocre, or fantastic, it all comes back to you and it comes back to me deciding the kind of life that we want to live. So I think it's never too late. Well, we've got to have you back. I mean, I didn't get to half of what I wanted to talk to you about. I know you do a lot of work, as I mentioned in the introduction, with other women and women professionals and leaders. You just mentioned one of the programs that you apply. So we've got to learn a lot more from you. And there's so much more to learn. So, but thank you, Christine. I so appreciate you joining us today. Oh, thank you, Anne. It's been so fun. I know we could chit chat. We could solve the problems of the world of just hanging out, right? <laughs> In a very positive way, I might yes. add. <laughs> well, thank you again. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's an honor to be here. 